This program is brought to you by Bible Way Media, a work of the Ulaga Church of Christ. I've read and studied the book of Job many times, dozens of times, I would say. Each time, the dynamic of Job and God intrigues me. For me, the relationship of Job to God is one of the most special relationships of all the accounts in the Bible. I realize that God chose Noah, Moses, David, the apostles to move forward his message and purpose. But the book of Job, for me, it focuses intently on the relationship of God to a single servant in a single event. It's fascinating, heart-wrenching, puzzling, and awesome, and arguably one of the most well-known accounts in the Bible. I mean, those that I talk to about God's love and mercy like to reference Job and they want to point out that what they see are the manipulative characteristics of God in this book. And I admit that I too was immature at one point and puzzled by the situation and what seemed to me to be a horribly sad account. I read, reread, searched biblically scholarly articles and blogs about this relationship, but nothing really satisfied my curiosity about it until I saw four little words. Now you know the account of Job, right? He's a wealthy man. He has a great house, a large family, land, you name it. Job has it materially. But more importantly, he has it going on spiritually. So Satan arrogantly accuses God of being an overprotective father and the father, the all-knowing, but the one who made us with free will and that's very important, I believe. Ask Job to take a look, or ask Satan to take a look at Job. Have you considered my servant Job? For there's no one like him on the face of the earth, a blameless and upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil. So Satan look at, looks at Job and accepts the challenge and starts to take all physical blessings away from Job, everything that he sees and loves that is dear, except his wife and his friends. Kind of interesting, isn't it? Yeah, not so much when you look at it closer. You find that answer in chapter 2, verse 9, when his wife encourages her husband to give up his faith in his God and die. Seriously, she tells him to renounce his God and embrace Satan, to live in eternal punishment. It's no wonder Satan allowed her to live. He knew that she was working for him. Then there were those friends. They were working for Satan, too, and they go on and on and on, discouraging Job. And I would argue that Job battles Satan through his friends. Yeah, his friends are Satan's tools, too. And God knew they would be. He knows that our friends can be servants of Satan. And Satan sees that opportunity. We just don't see it that way all the time. Or maybe turn away because we just don't want to see it, maybe. But for me, the most amazing reason for the book of Job is that during the conversations Job has with his friends, he constantly defends God and his stance with God. The point is that he will not, he does not tolerate their depictions. And I use that word deliberately. Depictions are pictures of who God is. He says in chapter 27, verses 3 through 5, As long as my breath is in me, and the breath of God is in my nostrils, my lips will not speak wickedness, nor my tongue utter deceit. Far be it from me that I should say you are right. Till I die, I will not put away my integrity from me. Sounds great, right? Yeah. It's here that I think 
He gets it. But you know, <laughs> he hasn't. Not yet. Because you see in chapter 30, Job is depressed. And we would say, come on, man, of course he's depressed. But for me, this is where it gets dangerous. You see in verse 1, Job says, But now they mock me, men younger than I. Uh-oh. Job is slipping into, well, you know, I just got to say it. And, and I do it too. He's slipping into a pity party. And I hear you. Of course, give the guy a break. He lost his home. He lost his kids. He lost everything. Well, here's where I have to argue with you. You see, he didn't. He didn't lose the most important thing. And that is the point. We just don't see it. After Satan has tempted Job in every way and Job is worn down, God speaks. And the reason that I can't give him a break is because God didn't give Job a break either. He didn't allow him to have that pity party. Instead, God introduced himself as if they had never met. He showed Job who he is by giving us a beautiful panoramic inventory of the majestic world that he made for us. And that passage ends with, nothing on earth is like him. And then and only then, Job gets it. In chapter 42, in his repentant confession, the key, I believe, is in verse 5. He says to God, I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I abhor myself, and I repent in dust and ashes. There they were, those four words. Did you see them? My eye sees you. Did he literally see God? No, he didn't. But does that remind you of someone else? Yeah. Our master in Mark 8 discusses this problem too. He had fed the 5,000 and the apostles were in the boat and they didn't have bread. And they started complaining. And Jesus responded, Having eyes do you not see? And having ears do you not hear? And in verse 21, he says, How is it that you do not understand? They didn't understand because they didn't see. They didn't see God right in front of them. And I fear that sometimes we miss our God because we think we know because we lose, and because we lose focus on the stuff that's not important. The house, the kids, the paycheck, the family, the friends. And we've, we've just got to stop looking at the stuff that Satan gives us. We've got to stop and listen, hear, and look, and see. See so that someday we can, and every day, we do see God. We hope you enjoyed this program. We encourage you to subscribe to our podcast on Pandora, Spotify, or Podbean. Thanks for listening.